or not do or say or not say that would cause you to to turn away from us, that would cause you not to keep pursuing us and pressing in and chasing after. There's nothing we can do or say to cause you to stop loving us or even to love us more than you do right now. And so, Father, we... uh, we thank you for that. Let, there, let us find freedom in that. Let us find healing in that. Let us find love in that, that truth. And God, as we turn to your word and continue to worship, would you open our eyes, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to embrace and minds to critically think and process what it is that you have for us this morning. Would you do that for us? We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, man, we've got about uh, three weeks left in this series called Storyline. And uh, what we've been doing all year is uh, we've been looking at this thread that runs from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, that points us uh, to Jesus. And uh, the reason why we're doing this series is because at the beginning of the year, what we wanted to do is to raise everyone's biblical literacy. Uh, not so that we just know more about the Bible, although that's important, but we, but we were doing this series so that we would know more about who God is and know more about the life that he is calling us to as as his followers, as Jesus. And so, so that's why we're pressing into the series. That's why we've been doing it all year long. And, um, and we've, we've even tacked on a Christmas edition. So, I mean, we're just going to keep riding it throughout the entire year. Um, but so we're in the New Testament portion. And this morning, we're going to talk about uh, the sermon, the very first sermon that was ever preached in Acts chapter 2. And it's this sermon, the very first sermon that was preached, that served as a catalyst uh, for this thing called the local church. And the local church is God's hope for this broken and dark world. And so, so we're here today, not because of any sermon that I've ever preached, but we're here today as gathered as a body of believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, because of this very first sermon that was ever preached. Now, now, for time's sake, we're not going to go throughout the, the, read through the whole sermon, but we're going to focus on the, on the last portion of it. And, and in just full you know, transparency, um, and we, two years ago, we did a whole series. Maybe it was three years ago. I can't remember. On, on the book of Acts. I mean, we, we spent the whole year doing an exhaustive um, look at Acts and kind of went chapter by chapter. And, uh, and so, because I really can't remember what I preached about two years ago, much less two weeks ago, okay, uh, we got, uh, we're, we're just going to revisit what we talked about a couple of years ago in Acts chapter two. And because I think it's so imperative that we understand um, this very first sermon, because it gives context to everything that happens after this uh, when it comes to the local church. So Luke is the author of Acts, okay? And uh, he's recording everything that's happened. And in Acts chapter two, he gives, us, uh, he gives us some insight of what it means for you and I to become Christ followers, for you and I to call ourselves Christians. And, and we don't really have four statements uh, or four points this morning, but we do have four words. And let me give them to you up front and then we'll unpack them as we go along. But the four words that we have this morning uh, are mind, 
grace, heart, and life. Mind, grace, heart, and life are the four words we're going to come around uh, as, as we really step into the arena of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a little Christ, what it means to be a Christ follower. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2 this morning. Acts chapter 2, if you didn't bring your Bible, you can pull it up on your phone or you can, we're going to put it up on the screen for you. But Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning, looking at this very, very first sermon uh, ever written or ever delivered. So verse 36, Peter says, therefore, in other words, uh, Peter, he's getting to the end of the sermon. Okay. He, he's wrapping things up as every audience of every preacher wants the preacher to eventually wrap up. Right. I mean, thankfully there's no cowboy game today, so there's really no hard stop. No, I'm just joking. Just joking. Uh, but, uh, but he's getting, he's drawing the conclusion. He's getting people, getting them to, you know, lean in saying, okay, hey, I've said all these things, but I'm getting to the bottom line now. So he says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. Okay, so, so here's the deal. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, we got to remember the Messiah was the one that the Jewish people believed that God, you know, God had promised to send the people, uh, the Jewish people, a Messiah, a Redeemer. And a lot of the Jewish people believed that the Redeemer, that the Messiah was going to be this military figure and uh, come to power and, uh, you know, kick out the Romans and uh, make Israel a superpower again. Some people thought maybe the Messiah was going to be a political leader. Uh, maybe a religious leader, but probably not, not, but definitely did not think that the Messiah would be divine. And so he's, he's saying, hey, um, let all Israel be assured. Let, let you know, know this one thing. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, now Peter is talking, his audience, okay, are all Jewish people. And all these Jewish people have come from all over the world to celebrate Passover. So they're in Jerusalem, which is kind of the hub uh, of, of the Jewish faith. And, and Peter is addressing a, a group of people, his audience, who have put ultimate authority, ascribed ultimate authority to the Old Testament. That the Old Testament scriptures held authority, the highest authority in their lives. Okay, And so that's who he's addressing. And so what Peter does is he, he quotes King David. Now that's important because all these Jewish people, they, they really you know, held King David up with some esteem. They, you know, King David was a hero. You told stories about King David to, to your kids at, at bedtime. And so, so he quotes King David. So he's like saying, hey, it's not just me here. But listen to what King David has to say. And, and, and the first quote comes out of Psalm 16 in verse 25. He says, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. So David is not referring to himself, but he's referring to the Messiah. Okay, he's referring to, to the Lord. Peter quotes David again. He quotes him in Psalm 110. Uh, in verse 34, it says, For David did not ascend to heaven, and, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a, foot, uh, a footstool for your feet. So, so David, you know, he's king, but who, who's his Lord is king? Well, it's 
the Messiah. It's Jesus. Now, Peter is, I mean, he's preaching a remarkable sermon. And, and I know that we don't, I don't really do it justice, okay? Uh, but he's preaching this remarkable sermon. And he's, he's making this remarkable, strong, brilliant case that all these Old Testament scriptures that, you know, that we've been talking about and even more, all these Old Testament scriptures point to Jesus as being the Messiah. Okay, he goes on, verse 32. He said, God has raised this Jesus, uh, has, has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. So, so Peter, uh, he, he's... he's uh, He's appealing to their mind, okay? And, and he's, not just, uh, he, he's not just beating them. He's not beating them over the head with the Old Testament, all right? He's not doing that. But what he's doing, and, and again, he's a master preacher. He's stepping into their understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. He's stepping into how they, uh, you know, hold the Old, Te- Old Testament scriptures into, into the highest regard and the highest authority. He's stepping into their system of belief and understanding of the Old Testament. And he says, he says to them, hey guys, listen, listen, listen. You, you, you believe this about the Messiah in the Old Testament. And, and you believe this about the Old Testament. Testament uh, or about the Messiah in the Old Testament, and you believe this about the Messiah and the Old Testament. So why in the world will you not believe this? And then Peter, he doesn't just refer to the scriptures; he's going to take it a step further. He's going to bring into eyewitness accounts, and and he's going to say, "Hey, we have seen, we have seen with our own eyes this risen Jesus." We've seen him with our own eyes. And it wasn't just one of us. It wasn't just two of us. There's not three of us getting together to make this stuff up. But there were, you know, Jesus appeared to over, you know, to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. In fact, he appeared to hundreds of people at the same time. I, I, I don't care what you're smoking. You can't get 400, 500 people to have the same hallucination, okay, at the same time. Jesus appeared and he appeared to different people pockets of people, different groups of people, different individuals uh, to support this eyewitness testimony. And so Christianity, when it comes to the Christian faith, we don't have to check our minds at the door, okay? We don't have to check our brains at the door, but to become a Christian, there needs to be a change of mind for sure. In fact, the word repent, it literally means uh, to change the mind, and so Christianity should cause us to think that when we hear a sermon, when we, when we read the Bible, we need to engage the text with our minds. We need to think about, okay, what does this say? What does this say about God? What does this say about me? What does this say about sin? What does this say about Jesus? It, 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 because, because here's the deal. Something happened in history, and it's got to be dealt with. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we are invited to investigate it with the mind. So, so there's the mind. So then, we, then, then the second, second word we're going to come around is grace. That, that Christianity uh, is about salvation by the grace of God. Okay, it's, it, Christianity is about the salvation by the grace of God, not our own merit. 
okay? That it has nothing to do with our performance. It has nothing to do with our good works. It has nothing to do with our religious activities. And and one of the things that we saw when we went through Acts, and if you read Acts, what we see is all these preachers that pop up in all these little churches and all these little towns is in the early church is they always read everything in the Old Testament as pointing to Jesus. I mean, it's almost like they're, they're doing their own storyline series. You know, they got their graphic and they're running the thread all the way through. And but, but every story, every page of the Old Testament, it points to Jesus. The, the, the authors of the New Testament, they saw the Old Testament scriptures as everything in the Bible pointing to Jesus. Now, watch, listen, don't miss this. It's real easy to think the Bible is about us. Because the Bible is full of good advice of how we should live our lives. And, but, but it's real easy that when we make ourselves the, the topic of the Bible, when we put ourselves in the scriptures, that it's real easy to start seeing the Bible as a list of things we have to do in order to be saved. It's real easy to see the Bible as as rules that we need to keep in order to get God in on our deal or in order to get God to answer our prayers or in, in order to get God to love us more. And all of that is deep in religion because the gospel is not about what we can do for God, but about everything that God has done for us through the life and death and, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, you know this. You don't need a preacher to, to tell you this. That There's no way not one person could live this out perfectly, right? And, and in fact, let, let's, just take the, let's just take the Bible out of it. Let's just say we had everybody write down 10 rules that you think you need to follow to live a good life. There wouldn't be one of us that could keep our own rules. Sooner or later, we'll break them. But, but the Bible says when we don't, we, when we don't live out this, this word or God's law, it's called sin. And that sin separates us and it puts us in a hopeless situation when it comes to God. But Jesus came and he lived the life that we can't live. And he died the death that we all deserve for not living this out perfectly. And when we put our faith in him, not our performance in him, but when we put our faith in him, we are saved by the grace of God. Now, now don't get me wrong. I mean, behavior, the way we live is important. But the things that we do as Christians should be done out of, a, out of a heart of gratitude for all that Jesus Christ has done and accomplished for us. Says, Jesus, you've done so much for me. It, it, it's my absolute pleasure to live for you in these ways. So to be a Christian engages the mind, but it's all about grace, but it also engages the heart. Look at verse 37. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So they're hearing the gospel, they're hearing the truth, and they're like, you know, what, what, what do we need to do? Now, th- this verse shows us that we don't just decide to pick up Christianity like a, like a self-improvement project, right? 
We don't just pick up Christianity uh, like we would pick up a weight loss program or a, or a money-saving program or you know, a, a, a hobby uh, to do to kind of occupy our spare time. We don't pick up Christianity. Christianity picks up us because we are swept up in the, by the power and the love of our Heavenly Father. You see, this term, cut to the heart, it literally means to be stabbed or to be pierced. And earlier, you know, Peter says, you put Jesus to death. He's talking to this audience. You put Jesus to death. Now, remember, this is happening. This sermon is being preached seven to eight weeks after the crucifixion of Jesus. And so the chances that you know, the majority of this audience were there at the crucifixion is very small. I mean, people would stay in Jerusalem two weeks, maybe three, at, you know, tops. Um, but you wouldn't stick around Jerusalem for seven or eight weeks. Now, maybe a few people did, but not everybody. And even though they weren't physically there calling for the crucifixion of Jesus, the power of God pierced their heart and they were cut to the heart. You see, the reason why they were cut to the heart is because their sin became personal. And and that's really, when we become Christians, our our sin becomes personal. And and Peter Peter knew what it meant to be cut to the heart. Because Scripture tells us that, that Peter, he denied knowing Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And on that third denial, uh, this rooster crows and, and Jesus is being held captive and he's on trial and he's being beaten. And uh, there's, you know, there's bonfires out, outside. All this is taking place outside and people are gathered around the you know, different campfires. And, and when that rooster crows, Jesus appears through the audience and makes eye contact with Peter. And in that moment, Peter was cut to the heart. His sin became personal because he realized what he had done to Jesus. Now, Peter will eventually repent and be changed and restored by Jesus. But see, it's it's one thing just to see sin as breaking God's rules, okay? But it's a whole other thing to see sin is breaking God's heart. The heart of the one that we owe everything to. You see, if we see sin just as breaking the rules, then we are going to see the Bible as the things that we have to do in order to get back into God's good graces. You know, depending on how many rules that I break and how bad the rules are, you know, uh, will determine how good I have to be in order to, to get God to love me back or to answer my prayer or to restore me. And that's what I thought for the majority of my adult life. You know, I, you know, if we view sin as just breaking the rules, it's like we're saying, okay, well... Okay, what if, you know, you know it's kind of like a, you know, when, when I was a teenager, it's like, okay, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but, uh, but, you know, if I get caught, big deal. I'll just do the punishment. That, that, that doesn't deter anybody's behavior. 
But when we see sin as breaking God's heart, when, when, when we, we take our sin personal, that's when we step into a whole new arena. When we, when we begin to read the Bible, not as a set of rules, but as we see it as a narrative, a narrative of, of how much God loves us, a narrative of what God has been willing to do for all of time to pursue us and to restore us going back to the Garden of Eden. When we begin reading the Bible and seeing, you know, God, that God's heart pursues us, that, that God doesn't give up on us, that God chases after us, that, that Jesus left glory in heaven and came to earth, that, that Jesus was rejected by his father on the cross, that Jesus on the cross paid our sin debt in full for us. When we start seeing Jesus as the point of the whole Bible and a narrative of how much he loves us and who he is and what he's done for us, sin, take, sin becomes personal because then we begin to realize that our sin isn't just breaking the rules, but it's breaking his heart. And that's the last thing that we want to do. And when we come before our heavenly father and we start to realize just how much he's done for us and how much he loves us, that our heart of stone begins to melt under the intense heat of his love for us. And so being a Christian, it engages our mind. It's, it's receiving grace. It, it changes our heart, but it also changes our life. That we need to give our lives, offer our lives to Jesus. Peter, they say, what shall we do? And Peter says, well, you need to come back next week. And No, he doesn't say that. And Ben, why don't you guys come and just get ready to lead us into this response. But Peter replied, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Doesn't matter if you've been going to synagogue your whole life and you've memorized the Old Testament or you've never been to synagogue, you've never been in church your entire life. It says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off and for all whom the Lord our God will call. See, Peter tells them four things. He, he, he says, repent. So change your mind. And, and receive forgiveness. In other words, put your faith, your trust, your confidence in the performance of Jesus, not in our own performance. And when we repent and we receive the forgiveness of God, of God through, through his grace, we have a brand new freedom. We have new freedom in the forgiveness of Christ when we repent. He says, be baptized. In other words, be baptized, go public with this faith and be a part of a new community. So now not only do we have a, a, a new freedom, a newfound freedom, but we also have a new community. We have brothers and sisters to do life with. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, when we put our faith in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, it's not a byproduct of baptism. We receive the Holy Spirit. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, we have a new power.
So, so we have a new freedom through repentance and forgiveness. We have a new community when we're being baptized, being counted as among our brothers and sisters. And now we have a new power to do life in. And he says, oh, by the way, go tell others. Go tell others about Jesus. And so now we have a new mission. So we have a new freedom, a new community, a new power, and a new mission. And Jesus says to these Jews, he says, hey, um, when we become Christians, those Gentiles, those people who weren't born Jewish, those people that we've looked down on our whole lives, those people who thought they didn't have a snowball's chance with our God, they're included in this too, because it's for everybody. He says, those people who thought they didn't have a chance, who thought they were so far gone and had disobeyed so much and lived their life and engaged sin so much, it's for them too. This message of forgiveness and hope and salvation is for them too. He says, those people that we looked down on, that we thought they were unclean dogs, it's for them. They're gonna become our brothers and sisters in Christ because we have a new freedom and a new community and a new power and a new mission. And so I think today it, it, it kind of boils down to maybe two things for us, maybe three. One, the question is, have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Because today needs to be the day. Experience that new freedom. And if you need help with that, we'd love to help you with that. I'll be standing right down here if you want to talk about that, you can grab a staff member. You can grab somebody you came with and say, hey, let's talk about this. So that's, that, that's one category. That's one application. Another application maybe you may have walked in here thinking, man, there's no way God wants anything to do with you because of what you have done. But you need to hear that God loves you and there's nothing you can do to cause him to stop loving you and stop pursuing you. So today, repent. We'll walk with you. And I think the third application is, I think every single one of us knows someone who they've not put their faith in Jesus. And so maybe today we just start praying for that person. And when we start praying for that person, just watch. God's gonna provide an opportunity all of a sudden, they're wanting, they're wanting to want to go to lunch. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't ask you to lunch, you know. Yeah, but, but you did start praying for them. Or maybe you invite them to church. I don't know. God will work that out. But remember, you have a new power and you have a new community. So we'll do this together. So those are our three responses today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for all that you've done for us through Jesus Christ. Let us not think it's about us or our performance, but it's all about the performance of Jesus for us. And we just say thank you. Thank you so much. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship.